So remember when I was talking about Wish from Mercury and I said that it felt way too low stakes because of the number of people they didn't kill? I may have found the why. Hello everyone, welcome to the Weeb Initiative, I'm your host, The Weeb. This is the show where every other week I'll be talking about anime, manga and everything in between. This week I have to finish the anime I started last episode, so this week we will be talking about the second season of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blood Orphans. And so before I start the disclaimers, as always, spoiler alert, I will be talking about most of the things that happened in the season, although as I will explain later, I will choose to keep this one maybe short of details, because, and this is a spoiler in and of itself about this whole review, but I don't like this second season whatsoever. So now with the disclaimers out of the way, let's start with the stats. So Iron Blood Orphan second season is made by the same studio that made the first season, so Sunrise, the same one that does all the Gundams. It came out in October 2016 and ended April 2017. And basically it follows the happenings of the last season, Iron Blood Orphans, with no actual connection to any of their Gundams as I already stated when I, I was talking about the Witch from Mercury. All the Gundams are basically enclosing Novin themselves after the, I think, 2008 series. Anyways, the, the thing is, this is the second season of Iron Blood Orphans, the same one I was talking about last episode, so it still has strong theming and really messed up stuff all together. Yeah, so we'll see when we get there, but let's tread through the story a bit before I give my opinion. So let's start from the beginning. So last time we finish off with the fact that the guys from Tekadan lost a lot of people fighting Galahorn and they got Kodedia to Earth and to speak at the council of whatever to then begin the independence of Mars more or less. Since then, the anime does a time skip of approximately one year after the happening. So we are back on Mars and we see the survivors of Tekadan and what happened to Guderia. And we have a basic summary of everything that happened. So as of this one year that has passed in the time skip, Tekadan has grown up in size and scope. And basically they have new recruits, new people and whatever. And not only that, but the social paradigm has changed a bit. So Galahorn has become somewhat of a, a rogue organization somewhat. In some cases, I think they mentioned that Galahorn themselves are blamed for terrorist attacks happening in some colonies and even Mars itself. And basically they lost all the decorum that they could have at some point. And so there is this huge boom in PMCs, private military cor uh, corps or corporations, companies. And so basically Tekadan has basically 
spearheaded this boom of PMCs, so much so that they are contracted as the security detail of the politician that they protected back in the first season of Makanai. Not only that, but also at this point they have a nerf branch, so they have, uh, let's say, a, an office on Earth to take care of a thing, maybe jobs on Earth and whatever else, things that happen in there, because at this point it takes three months to go from Mars to Earth, even through the legal road, so basically it takes a lot of time they chose to open up a ranch. One of the details that they actually mention in the beginning of the season is that the, the notion of child soldiers has basically been reassured by the success of Tekadan, so a lot of BMCs are employing child soldiers more, which is pretty grim as a, as a throwaway point, uh, throwaway, let's say, subject, which felt kind of wrong at the same time, so I was like, what the f are you actually writing that? And but the thing is, right, so we have now Kuderia with her own company as the uh, philanthropic kind of deal to get resources out to the kids that she wants to save and help. So the whole crusade that she had in the first season has more or less been, is now in full effect. So now she administers this company, which has now the Sakura farm, which is the the farm that we had at the beginning that was from the um, grandmother of Biscetto and now they expanded it and not only that but she has an orphanage and a school and so on so forth we still have a whole lot of other people that we saw in the first season so the guys from Tewas are still there, the guys from Turbines are still there, the guys from Garahorn are still there too but I will get to Galahorn when we get there. The thing is, one year passed, we have a lot more of new people, and for a change of pace, the um, amount of work that has fallen in Orga's hands, but not, not only Orga, but let's say the older generation, so Orga, Eugene, Dante, Chado, Akihiro, and... Eugene, I already said, Shino and the others, and not only them, but also the ones that are younger, so Takaki and Raido, and the, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot one of them that becomes important later, I forgot his name, sorry, but the thing is, I, I forgot his name right now, uh, he becomes important later, Yamagi, so even the younger ones that already had functions before the second season, they have even more work, and so the Basically, let's say, the perspective pans out to show off a bit of the side characters more that take the focus away from Orga and Mikasuki to basically show off a bit more of the family, let's say. This becomes important later, but simple to say, at the very start of the season, we don't actually see many of the let's say, main characters of the first season, for a reason I will explain later. One another thing that is important to say that the second season starts with is that after the battle with Ayn, Kazuki has thrown more, let's say, he has a greater kickback from using Barbatos full power as he used in the last fight. So at the last fight he couldn't use his, I think, right arm 
unless he was connected to Barbatos. Now he can't use anything on his right, on the right side of his body. Not only his eye, but also hand, any muscles. So now he has to be carried around. And I think they did this more on a comedic effect because they don't actually get him a wheelchair. And so he gets dragged around everywhere, lift in the shoulders of anyone. E eventually, this there is a special person that gets this, let's say, uh, this role. But <laughs> let's just let's just go on with the story. So the first arc in this season, and this already, this arc already got me the wrong way. Let's say so. When we last left the, let's say, the realm of Gal of Galahorn on the end of the first season, the beginning of the second season, what has happened, right? So, McGillis wants to overthrow the current Galahorn, he has overthrown his father in order to get his his post, and now he wants even more power, so he wants to actually go even bigger and take full control of the whole organization, whatever. The thing is, there's this new guy that from the get-go becomes the antagonist, that is Rustal Elton. They pronounce this way, way different in Japanese, so I don't actually know if the subtitles are right, but for the for what's worth, it's called Rustal. So, he comes with also his his own entourage so there are people that will kind of become important later the first one is yoki uh, jukad i think i may be pronouncing this all wrong but the thing is uh, this guy is a fanatic one of the most ardent supporters of rustao in his faction and the other one is julieta one of the it seems like she had a somewhat similar upbringing to McGillis in that she was brought up in she was basically picked up as part of the family and basically raised by Rustal and his family more or less so she has a really loyal relation to Rustal and she wants to serve as his knight his champion let's say and this develops more towards the middle to the end of the season, but simple to say, Rustal comes up with two new, let's say, vanguards and one mysterious, let's say, person that is not actually mysterious because the, for the first time you, you hear the, the sound of his voice, you can already know who it is. At this start, he's called, I think it's Vidar, I don't actually know. I think it's the Latin for vengeance, I think. But basically, it's Gaerio. Gaerio has somehow survived, uh, somehow returned after his defeat by the hands of Achilles in the first season. And somehow he survived and wants revenge, obviously. Because nobody comes back from the dead in this kind of show to not exact revenge. But he is keeping this secret identity for some reason but the jig is all is already up when later in the season when McGillis and him first duel in mobile suits they it comes out pretty fast it's not it, I don't actually know why they use the mask I think it's just a pretext to maybe give a bit of suspense but at the same time his voice is not even changed you can't even say that there was a a possibility of a doubt there. So I don't actually understand why they did this, but the thing is, Gaido is back from the dead somehow. Now, this whole setup happens there by a 
really big, let's say, the whole thing, the whole drama in this season is caused by, and not only by, but in an effect of the fight that's going on inside Galahorn. So every one of the things that happened to Tekadan in this season has one way or another been caused by the fight between Magillis and Naurustal. Why do I say that? Because the first one is one arc that I really hate because, let's say, so Takaki is, let's say, the second in command in the earth branch of Tekadan. The first in the control is Chado, who is the, I think, navigator in the first season. He appears a lot on camera in the first season, but doesn't talk a lot. In the second season, he takes up a more present role, let's say. So the whole thing kind of goes that they have this one job as security detail in um important meeting between the guys from the from the council that the Makanae makes part in the politician that, that is basically now Kuderia's mentor, let's say. And so they have the security detail for that because Galahorn is now a basically defunct organization. But the um, whole thing is kind of too big for the people they have available so they get reinforcements from guys appointed by Tewas and from the get-go we see that the one main guy that is appointed by Tewas is actually a plant from a guy that wanted a favor let's say a kind of wanted to extort Kuderia out of her uh, not only money but goodwill or basically wanted to extort her a favor out of her to get credibility or whatever he wanted and so this whole mess starts with the fact that this guy is infiltrated there and wants out and so he sells the guys from Tekadan basically to Rustal because Rustal wants to take Tekadan down this uh, at this point because they are the supporters of Magillis and basically there is this whole feud between Rustal and Magillis going under the wraps but then the whole thing kind of blows over blows over not it blows up really so they begin a proxy war in of in themselves because basically this one guy that's a plant he cuts up the earth branches communication with the Mars branch not only that but at this point, Shadow is injured because he wanted to. He tried to protect Makanai from an explosion, and so the one that gets to be the commander of Tekadan on Earth is Takaki, who at this point is a younger one, so he doesn't have the let's say the certainty or the the get go attitude. In this case specifically, he's too naive and too trusting. So basically, they get into this war, they don't know who they are fighting against really. The people just keep dying and resources being wasted. The guy throws Takaki for a loop and Takaki is, is being a, a trusting guy. He believes this guy because he was a, an appointee from Tewas. And so the whole thing kind of becomes this really, really drawn out drama that we as the audience, we already see what's going on but at the same time we just want someone to go there 
punch the guy out and just finish this whole shit over. And this does not happen. So the things draw draw out a lot. Uh, Takaki is living with his sister and his let's say adopted brother that was one of the human debris that was rescued when Akihiro and Masahiro fought in the in the first season. And this guy is called Ox Oxton. Axton? I don't actually remember. Thing is, right, so they have this really good relationship going on. Axton becomes uh, this really... He wants to protect Takaki and feels indebted to him and to all of Tekadam, but especially to him because he, let's say, he opened up his horizons, let's say. He was the one person that actually treated him like a, uh, an actual human and not human debris. So there's this relationship and this thing kind of gets dragged out because as the war goes on, we see that the plant from Tewas gets a second plant now direct from Rustau to be the deputy commander of the Kadan. And this is one part that is really really badly written I think on purpose because it, it becomes really confusing and, and it doesn't come out like why didn't anyone actually go there and question the guy because this guy appears out of nowhere it is appointed as the deputy chief so he kind of becomes the superior for Takaki who at that point would be the the higher up the highest role in the in the whole let's say the branch in the middle of the war so it becomes kind of fuzzy at this point and me watching that i was like why didn't anyone just shoot that guy just go there and press him on it i don't know it becomes really really jarring to me and this is a, a theme that will happen some more times throughout this whole season but the thing is Things go to shit, more or less. A lot of people become really angry with Takaki. A lot of people die in this nonsense war that's happening for no reason. And basically, when the guys from Mars actually get wind that something is wrong and something seems off, something is wrong, and we gotta go there to check up on our guys because at this point they got no communications with Earth. I mean, they got no communications. The, the, the plant was basically the middleman between the communications. So for one side, he was saying that everything's all right. And for other side said that everyone's too busy to actually respond. So they, he cut communications in a way that he could just drag the war out and basically destroy Tekadan on Earth. Thing is, guys go there, find out everything, kill the guy. It's a really nice scene. I will say. Unfortunately, the guy, and this is a piece of writing that actually they get right, on my opinion. The guy at this point is, to the audience, the number one enemy. You just want to see the guy die. And when Akihiro actually grabs the guy to finish him off, he blows himself up. Which is that feeling of, not anticlimactic necessarily, but it is, it feels off. It doesn't feel like the job is done. And so after that, and also important point, at this point, Exton died trying to save Takaki from an enemy in mobile suit, which is a pretty hard blow already. And passing from that, at this point when the second, let's say the captain, the plant captain is killed, the guys from Tekadan go up to the other guy, to the original plant, press him on it, and basically they leave 
Takaki to actually finish the guy off. And he actually kills the guy, for real, for real. But then he chooses to get out of Tekadan because... At this point, he is choosing to protect his sister and to try to live a more normal life. He doesn't want to sacrifice himself knowing that he has a little sister to take care of. And, I mean, it is a pretty hard scene. And from this point forward, this scene has already not... It has begun really badly. So, after this whole shit show happens. Tekadan basically withdraws from Earth, there's no longer an Earth branch, Takaki goes goes away, Shadow comes back to Mars, and so we go to the next part. So, in the meantime that we had this introduction of the, the second season, the, this time skip and showing everything that happened, one of the things that happened is that Tekadan basically upgraded their blood oath with Tewas, so he uh, Tekadan is actually equal in power to the turbines inside the group, more or less. And the thing that stands out is that the boss from Tewas gives to Tekadan the um, deed and the rights to extract half metal. It doesn't really matter what half metal is, but he gives a, a, the biggest mine of half metal that exists on Mars to Tekadan and one of the guys that is more or less his second in command becomes disgruntled with this fact and so the guy multiple times has questioned because they give too much freedom to Tekadan and so on and so forth it evolves the way you would expect from something like this so eventually he begins to contact not Rustal directly but the guys uh, but besides him, so the one that is important in this part is Yoki. Yoki, he becomes a plot device for basically fucking everything Tekadan plans up. It, oh my god, it is terrible, terrible. The one thing that I, I don't, I don't mind saying this. This is a major spoiler, so <laughs> last warning. But the one thing that actually, oh my god, it pissed me off so hard on this part. <sighs> How do I say this and not get demonetized? So a little bit of context. Some people that I already mentioned in the first season that come from Turbine. So Turbines was this company that was founded by this guy called Naze and his wives, his multiple wives. And I made this point that uh, he had his whole harem as the crew of the ship. And for the most part, yes, we have a bit more background in the second season. So we actually discovered that they are not actually his wife's wives. They are basically a nominal wife so that he can not let them be exploited by some some stuff on the law and so, so on and so forth. And not only that, but we see this backstory of Nazi and Amida, I think it's Amida, the main wife really, going around rescuing the girls from exploitative work, dangerous companies and so on and so forth to add to the Turbine's crew. And so he basically had this grandiose mission of saving girls that were exploited and the image of him being a pimp that we had in the, in the first season basically transforms into a, a better more constructive kind of deal so the thing is right so why am i talking about the turbines turbines was the part of tay was that basically brought 
Tekadain and basically Naze became the big brother of Orga when talking about business and protected him multiple times when talking about internal struggles in Tewas. What does this mean at the end of the day is that the, the guy that becomes disgruntled with how much favoritism there is with Tekadan, he wants revenge on the turbines for bringing Tekadan in. He first tries to uh, beat Tekadan head first, but it fails, obviously. And so he goes by the sides and f tries to hit the turbines first. Now, oh my god. Oh boy. How, how do I say this? I'm actually struggling here. The, in the edit, it may be sounding like I'm not siphoning a lot, but oh my god. So the guy calls York, gets an illegal weapon that was banned back in the Calamity War, gets that, basically sends an anonymous tip to Galahorn to audit Tewas, uh, audit the turbines, and they find, air, giant air quotes, they find this banned weapon being smuggled by the turbines, and the one response that they get is Sumeria execution of the whole crew and the whole ship and so the whole thing kind of blows and so there's this whole whole emergency kind of deal that the guys Naze wants to get all the girls out save all the girls I don't care about myself but I need to make sure the girls are safe and so he plans this whole shit out where he is going to fly his ship alone and be arrested alone as the sole sole culprit of smuggling banned weapons but this doesn't actually work work the guys from Galahorn that appear as the let's say the shock troops they actually want to kill him to show say power even after Naze sent multiple surrender signals they still shot him down and it is a really oh my god I I swear to god my blood was boiling at this point because it felt so off. It felt so off. And, and later on, it becomes even worse with revelations that we have later. But at this part, let's discuss just this part. There is this whole scene of the girls trying to get out. Even Tekadan at some point tries to send out people to save more girls to make sure that basically the girls are escaping on, let's say, life-saving. What would be the equivalent of life-saving boats? So it's basically small shuttles, just small transports. And the guys from Galahorn, to really throw salt on the on the wound they shoot at the transports and not the main big ship that Naza is in he they shoot the transports to actually kill the girl this alone i think would be considered in equivalent terms uh war crime i don't actually know if that's true or not i may be wrong on that but it feels like it might be a war crime i guess and not only that, but it ends up that they use the actual banned weapon that they said they are they banned, but they for some reason just dig out a whole bunch of them and use against the main ship just to I don't know fuck it up. It, it never comes back to bite them, uh, mind you. This uh, this is just a, a one side ban basically. Not really. It should be banned to Galahorn too, but you know politics, nepotism, and corruption. That that's all here. 
And so they try to save most of the girls and Naze and Amida die in a... Oh my god, I hate that scene. Oh my god. Oh, th this next part... Uh, this next part is, is a whole bunch of... A whole bunch of shit. A whole bunch of shit. Uh, and... <laughs> Let me focus before I continue. And then Naze and Amida die fighting a fight that was not their fault and by a crime that was not their own and basically they die it's it's really heartbreaking at this point it, it, it is it hits hard it hits hard and it is a, i think a chip death because <laughs> i need to actually talk about one more death before i talk about it. so at the end of the first season we saw that three of the girls from the turbines had a whole lot of relationship with the guys from Tekadan. They basically stayed with the guys of Tekadan for the most part. It, they were Azi, Rafter, and Echo. Echo was more of a secondary character in and of itself, but Azi and Rafter were the main ones, the, the girls who trained the guys to use mobile suits when they first got it. The guys who... Basically, they, Azi and Rafter, were the main girls that stayed with Tekadan for the most part and at the beginning of the second season they still stay with Tekadan for the most part in the, when they go to Earth to see what the hell is going on to train the guys for the new models of mobile suit that they are bringing in and so on and so forth it is there is a whole relationship there they are basically I keep saying this like this is the Fast and Furious, but it is a, a big point in this season. It is like they are part of the family. And so this next part is after the girls get away and land whatever, when whatever. I, do, I don't actually remember when where they land or whatever. Ozzy and after are going out doing random stuff. At this point, there is this revelation that due to the fact that Rafter is basically the nominal wife of Nazi, not actually, actually the wife. Not only that, but actually the fact that at this point Nazi is dead. And so there's this whole thing where if you were the nominal wife, but you had interest on another guy, you may as well jump uh, jump ship let's say and nobody will actually condemn you for that because it's not the timing and so on and so forth there's this whole build uh, moral build up to actually don't uh, i don't know blame her for adultery or something and at this point we know for a fact as audience that rafter has feelings for Akihiro. Although Akihiro is pretty dense at this point, he's really dense. We come to know that most of the guys in Tekadan are pretty dense, but the thing is, he's pretty dense. And the thing is, right, she basically confesses to him, he dances out the thing, so basically the confession hits him and ricochets off. It comes out as bittersweet because she knows that he's dense and she doesn't actually admit to the feelings that she has, more or less. It is kind of strange to explain this here, but she kind of copes with the fact that she knows that she will not stay with him because they live in other in different worlds and he's dense as he is and she will not press the issue the next scene she's dead <laughs> and this is it and, and the next very next scene random guy on a tuxedo comes up to a, a boutique she's in alone at this point because Ozzy went to do other things guy comes in the window 
shoots her like five times, goes off camera as he comes back. Holy shit, they killed her after. And I was like, holy shit, this is a cheap death. Like, goddamn it. At this point, just he he turned the head once once and be done with it. And at this point, I I, I was ready. I was not stable at this point because Naze and Amida already died. A somewhat cheap death. And now you killed after for no real reason. It, it, at this point, I, I really I really thought to myself, maybe I should drop this. They are fucking kidding me. Why would they kill Rafter out, out of nowhere? I mean, the, the whole thing with Naze, I can understand the revenge plot. But why? Why Rafter? Why? Like, for fuck's sakes. If you're gonna kill anyone, kill, kill Azzy, kill Echo, who's actually an engineer of mobile suits, helped uh, the guys upgrade Barbatos and whatever. Why kill after God the fuck off? And so at this point, I was basically done with the season. I was already, from this point forward, I don't think they can fuck this up. Oh my God, how how, how wrong I was. So cut to the next conf direct confrontation. There is a huge in-between of uh, building up more tensions between Magilis and Rostal and the fact that we find out that the guy that killed Rafter is sent by the, uh, Yoki and this comes up later because spoiler alert i will not be talking about the last 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 arc but let's just say akihiro has his sweet moment uh, the thing is next thing we know the guys from tekadan already got the got the wind of who's behind all of this the whole thing with the turbines the whole thing with rafter everybody is fuming at this point and they just go yo let's kill that bitch and they go after the guy who basically plot the whole thing they outright go there break their their blood off with Tewas so they can actually uh, begin an outright fight with uh, a guy from Tewas without being a betrayer or something like that because Orga can be a lot of things but he has at the very least honor in this in this thing where he does not betray anyone and the whole thing kind of sucks but this part is at the very least good in that Tekadan just outright smashes the guy destroys the whole mobile suit fleet he had all his different ships they destroy everything that this guy had the guy calls up the boss from Tewas and says uh, uh, pleads to him please tell Tekadan to stand down and then he goes like, yo, I knew you were behind everything. And, and at this point, when he said that he knew all, all of this time that everything was this guy's fault, I was like, holy shit, you could have stopped that, didn't you? And, and then, as I already said, I was done with this season at the point that after died for no reason. When he, the guy mentioned that he already knew, I, I just threw it in the bucket. It's going on the bad things I have to say about the series and oh my god the, but the guy dies it, it is really splendid Mika straight up just destroys his cockpit and blows him out of the the ship and it, it is a decent fight and somewhat cathartic all things considered but now we don't have Naze we don't have Amida and we don't have Rafter and for the most part we don't have the girls from turbines uh, going around the ship anymore and so is life uh, so we jump 
to the next uh, crisis. I, I'm not keeping really score of the number of the episodes because for the most part it doesn't really matter. I may actually skip one of the arcs if I'm not careful just because I mean there is a possibility that I will just forget whatever it's happened but is to say this next part is the less part less good part before the ending of the season so in the middle of getting this the mind that they gained from they was running they uncover a really strange object and they don't know what the hell it is and they don't actually have uh, access to all the databases from Galahorn so they don't actually know what the hell they just found but they reactivated and discovered that it is an AI used in the Calamity War to kill humans and basically it is the reason why Gundams were invented. It is called Mobile Armor, different from Mobile Suit, it's Mobile Armor because it is just a piece of armor, it does not have a pilot inside, it is an AI, it doesn't, they don't explain anything about the why they destroy humans, what was the calamity war really, what the hell, they don't explain any of it, but easy to say, they have to fight a lot, and whole thing kind of blows they fight yoki reappears just to fuck with them uh, a whole lot of things happen at this point mcgillis finally finds out about gaerio being alive and a whole lot of other things so judieta begins this mini arc where she wants more power because she is basically outclassed by Kazuki in every way. And the whole thing kind of blows. They have to destroy this. Uh, really, it reminds me a lot of the last boss on I think it was Metal Gear 2. I think it was Metal Gear 2 where you have to shoot um, the three Metal Gears with the RPG. I think it's Metal Gear 2. I, I may be wrong. The thing is, it appears they kill it with some i actually now thinking about it i think i changed places places i think this happens before the day was kind of the, the whole thing with turbine and everything because at this point shino also gets a gundam that has the let's say band weapon but doesn't actually use the band weapon it, it, they have a bullshit reason for what is what so but the thing is this is the last decent part let's say them so the the order goes first the earth crisis then the um, mobile armor and then the tewa situation and from this point on we reach episode uh, i think it's 18 19 19 20 that is the whole build up to the end of the season end of the series i will not talk about this in much detail but easy to say they kill a whole lot of people on this a whole lot of more people than i would expect and in saying that let's go to my opinion so what did i think about mobile suit gundam iron blood orphans now that i've seen both seasons the first season was pretty okay it was not really dramatic or hard to watch or had some really complex drama. It was alright, it was okay. As I already said, I think, in my original review, it's a 7 out of 10. It is competent in what it does. It does not lack in anything. It just don't, doesn't vibe with me enough to me to actually give a higher score, let's say. It may fly with other people. I don't personally don't personally like it a lot more than 
any other thing I ever watched. I think in many ways The Witch from Mercury is better. Uh, not only in action, but I, I think chemistry of the the um, characters is an important bit and setting also. But talking about the second season itself, as I already said, they kill a whole lot of people. And they kill a whole lot of people that you wouldn't expect at some points. So much so that I think I, I'm I do not remember actually seeing this back when this came out. But I would guess it is not far from reality to assume that the series was originally criticized heavily by the amount of main characters they outright kill with chip deaths. And I think in a way, at the very least in my head canon, this is the reason why the Witch from Mercury didn't kill anyone at the end of the day. Because they were maybe afraid of backlash from killing anyone at all. Which is, um, for me at the very least, is a bummer. I, I'm all for ha having maybe a bad ending. But when the... When the um, Let's say when the losses started to pile up, you would expect to at the very least get one win and one big win, not one small win. And let's just say this: the last few episodes of the series, it is just else, just else, uh, no dubs whatsoever. It is at some points I was just like, oh my god, just finished already. I I don't want to watch anymore. I know that this whole thing will go really badly the way I watch it. A lot of people die, as I already said. I will not mention who the who actually goes out but the thing is a lot of people die and for that reason i cannot really say that i like this season because i think they went too far i'm i'm pretty safe in my opinion that they went a bit too far a bit maybe giving them too much credit i think they went too far outright they killed a whole lot of people that they didn't need to there is this one part at the end that basically it calls out this the whole notion of the ship battles in this series. It calls out basically an inconsistency in writing that is being why don't you our target the bridge from the beginning? It calls out on that. It doesn't actually make the point because the whole thing kind of backfires on their face. So they don't actually, they kind of shift the focus for another reason. And basically, I, I, f I feel like the second season is way bad, way too much bad vibes. It, it didn't need to be like that. It could have a better ending, as I already said. I think they killed too many people, too many important people. And... For the most part, that's the overall summary of, that I have to say. Talking about music, just quickly, none of the songs in this season kind of grabbed me. So that's my take on music for for the season. The other thing is, and this is a, a positive, there is this one part towards the ending, the end of the season, that Atra, Koderia and Mikazaki kind of start this whole or dealing of themselves that Atra wants Kuderia to have Mikazuki's children because she wants to tie him down and not let him go out to kill himself. And then Kuderia just rebuttals with, why don't you go there and get his children? And then she becomes really flustered and this develops to the point that she actually confronts Mikazuki about having children 
and the way that this shakes up it is so cute the whole oh let's have kids oh sure let's go and then she goes full flustered oh it's so cute it's it's really cute this part is this part was the one the one this tiny silver lining inside this whole mess I was like yeah that part's good that seems nice because it's cute it, it is it has a really nice liberal take on family and not only that but uh, Yamagi has also uh let's i don't know if you can say that it, it is representation but it has a good build-up for uh known straight character it is not from your face it is well presented well built up and at the end of the day you get the same feeling that you would if it was a straight couple i will not talk about the yamagi arc because it doesn't really matter here for the fact that I don't want to enter in this final arc uh, details. I don't want to talk about this. Magilis, I also don't want to mention because I think he fizzles out at the end for multiple reasons. But let's say he fizzles out at the end. For the most part, the whole thing kind of becomes a mess at the end in many, many ways. I, I just don't like how many people they killed. I, I think they could have done this way more graciously. I think they... You know when you kill someone in a story for shock value? I think they overdid it. I mean, you you should not do that for the most part. And they done it multiple times. And yeah, that's my take on the whole thing. But again, in terms of animation, it's pretty good. I think they actually improved from the first season because at this point when... Barbatos gets his final upgrade, he gets a tail, which is pretty nice. I think it's underused, let's say, in the whole choreography of fights, but for the most part it's pretty nice. I think the especially the last battle that involves Mikasuki. Oh that that scene was nice, bro. That scene was nice. It's a whole lot of actual fighting. You feel like it is for reals, for reals. Shit's going down. It feels nice. Although it's gory, you may not like it if you don't like gore. But at the same time, if you don't like gore, don't go watching the anime which with child soldiers. That being said, uh, before I drag this more, if you guys like the show, please like, please follow. To subscribe thank you guys for listening as a plug-in because this is the beginning of the year and the last episode for the month i will plug my twitter again down in the description i for the most part don't post anything really i just react f- to random memes and anime and manga news and sometimes random stuff and anime art that, that's a big part of my of my whole twitter experience it's to follow the guys who actually draw the things i like and maybe some musical artists more or less indies the, the thing is follow me on twitter <laughs> link in the description twitter x you, you know what i'm saying so again thank you guys for listening uh, thank you guys for being here so again please like please share please follow depending on the platform you're in i hope you guys stick around for next time bye